Good morning, everyone. Welcome to City of Hope Church Sunday service online. We're so glad you could be with us and join us this morning. Um, we're, we've been in the book of Daniel for the last several weeks. We've been in a sermon series through the book of Daniel. And today we're probably in one of the most popular stories, especially in the book of Daniel, but maybe throughout the entire Bible. And that's in Daniel chapter 6 when we talk about Daniel in the lion's den. Now, just to give you a little bit, little bit of background, if you've been following with us for the past several weeks, Daniel and his friends, they've been brought out from Israel, brought out from Jerusalem as exiles. They've been enslaved by King Nebuchadnezzar. They've been taken to Babylon, which we've talked about how Babylon actually, uh, biblically, is not only an ancient, legitimate, literal place, uh, but it's also a, a, a figurative metaphor for the world system at large and the spirit that is at work today in our world to bring people away from the true worship of God. And so the book of Revelation teaches that mystery Babylon is already at work throughout the entire world, has been for ancient, because the Bible is not just about what did happen, but it's about what always happens. And that's why in the book of Revelation, it talks about what was, what is, and what is to come. And so when we go back to Daniel, uh, the book of Revelation is saying you have an interpretive key to see that in the last days, how Daniel lived is how a believer should live in a culture, in a society that is totally against God, anti-God. And Daniel and his friends are representing the faithfulness to God and the faithfulness of God throughout this Babylonian culture. And in our day and age, we're living in times where it seems to be getting more and more like this. Babylon means confusion. It means a mixture. And right now we see a, an immense amount of confusion and a mixture going on where people are so, caught up in so many different ideas that a lot of times it becomes very difficult to discern truth from error. And that's what's going on. There's a lot of delusion at work. And in Daniel chapter 6 specifically, we start to see that politics gets involved in these situations. And that's what's going on in our world right now, especially with the election and everything going on. But here's what Daniel teaches at large. I mean, Daniel is really teaching us that you may not get the life that you want, but you can still live the life that God wants. You may not get the house that you want. You may not get to go to the school that you want. Daniel didn't get to live where he wanted. He didn't get to be with the, with the friends and family he wanted. He didn't get to work for the employer that he wanted to. He didn't get to go to college where he wanted to. Everything was not working out for Daniel. He didn't get the life that he wanted, but he was able through faith in God to live the life that God wanted for him. And that's all that God asked from us. It's not about us getting the life that we want, but it's about being able to live the life that God wants us to live. And so our faith is going to be stretched during these times. And it's a good thing that our faith is stretched because ultimately we're not living for this world. We're living for a kingdom that is, that is coming when Jesus Christ returns. And our faith has got to be stretched. It's got to be tried through the fire. And, and Scripture says that our faith is more precious this, than gold. And what you need to understand, what I feel like the Lord wanted me to share with somebody this morning is whatever you're going through, the obstacles, the challenges that you're going through, they're not actually obstacles that are keeping you from who God wants you to be, but they are making you who God wants you to be. These obstacles are not keeping you from who God wants you to be, but they're making you who God wants you to be if you can learn how to respond uh, the way that we ought to. So if we get in Daniel chapter 6, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. But one of the first things that Daniel chapter 6 is going to teach us, number one, is that we need prophets over politicians. We need prophets over politicians. And in today's world, man, we need, we need somebody that can speak the Word of God over than speaking what is politically correct over and over and over again and getting inundated with political correctness and man's philosophies over what God is saying. Prophets 
speak what God is saying in a, in a moment and in an hour and in an age. But, but politicians speak what culture is saying. And they usually want to bow down to the culture. And they don't like prophets because prophets speak what they don't want to hear. But that's what you see in Daniel chapter 6 going, starting at verse 1, it says this. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. So he's setting up, Darius is actually, he, he comes in and now the Medo-Persian Empire has taken over in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, he passed away. His son Belshazzar took over for him. And in chapter 5, actually Belshazzar throws a party with God's, uh, with, with God's articles that he took from, that they stole from the temple whenever they left Jerusalem, and he threw this party and a finger wrote on the wall and said, meeny, meeny, tickle you farsim, which literally means that you've been, you've been tried in the balances and found wanting. And in a moment of time, after Daniel interpreted to him the dream, he said, the, the, the Persian Empire is going to come over and, and, and take you over. And in that moment, they did. And Darius sets up a new kingdom. And so he's coming in and he's setting up a new kingdom. He sets up 20 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And verse 2, over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. And then these men said, we're not going to find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Imagine that. Imagine nobody be able to find anything against you except concerning the law of your God. If they were going to get him, the only way they were going to get him is to find him doing something that his God had commanded him to do and make that illegal. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to them, King Darius lived forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So what you got to notice is King Darius has come in. He's taken over Babylon. He, he set up the, the Medo-Persian Empire in Babylon. Daniel's still there. Daniel's been there for years. He is now an old man. And Daniel was, was helping to, to, to lead government under the prior administration. But King Darius comes in and he likes Daniel. And he's setting up government. He's setting up new law. And no longer is Babylon under the rule of force. But guess what? He's actually bringing laws in. Now, what people don't understand is that one of the greatest contributions of the Bible to human history is the rule of law. Even in America, if you look at America and America's history, almost everyone will say that understands what history is about, that, that America was one of the only nations except for the nation of Israel to set up laws based on Hebrew biblical principles. And so God and the Bible brought us about 
this rule of law. And it was a blessing, see, because if you just believe that we're animals and we're just highly evolved animals and we're just supposed to be the survival of the fittest and ultimately there is, is no morality necessarily, so we just got to do what's best for whatever we seem in that moment, then we, then we lose our meaning, we lose our purpose, and we lose law. And what we see at work in the world today is a spirit of lawlessness because we are image bearers of the Most High God and God has given us law to abide by. And law is what keeps things in order. They are timeless universal principles that govern all people, times, and places that should seek to give all people equality and dignity under the law. Now we're human beings, so sometimes we have good laws, but we interpret those laws poorly. But when we turn away from God, the problem is, is that we begin to make laws that are ungodly. And that's what's happening in our nation and has been happening in our nation for some time now is that we've begun to turn from God and we begin to institute laws that are ungodly. And they start to do this same thing in Babylon. But I need you to understand this, that morality is not subject to popular opinion. God's laws don't change. Morality, true morality, does not change. It has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, again, when we talk about the Old Testament and the Old Covenant laws, somebody said, well, Clay, we're not under law, we're under grace. Absolutely. The scripture teaches that we're no longer under law in how we relate to God. That means that I'm not righteous in the sight of God because of my ability to keep the old covenant laws. No, nobody could ever keep the old covenant laws. The law was given in order to show that we are all guilty before God. And then Jesus, the perfect one, comes, sinless, spotless, keeps the law, but dies as if he broke every law so that there could be an exchange. He took my sin even though he didn't break the law and gave me his righteousness, even though I broke all the laws. And that is what grace is called. But just because we are under grace and not under law does not mean that law in a society should still be at work. See, we live by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And there is a law that is at work and there are laws that should govern the land. And when lawlessness and the spirit of lawlessness is at work, you begin to destroy the fabric of society because God is a lawgiver in order order to keep things in order. So Daniel, he becomes like the chief justice of the Supreme Court. They're setting it up almost a lot like American government. And he essentially becomes the chief justice of the Supreme Court, which is amazing because one, he's not a Persian. Two, he was under the prior Babylonian administration. But Darius comes in, realizes this dude has an excellent spirit. Man, this guy is is different. And that excellent spirit, we find out if we read all the other chapters, that it's not just an excellent spirit. They try to give it all kinds of different names, but it's the Holy Spirit of God that lives in this man. And people are aware of it because when you're filled with the Spirit of God, whether people know what, they may call it a force, they may call it an energy, they may not understand what it is, but it is the Spirit of the living God that attracts people to you and gives you favor in the eyes of men who may even be ungodly because ultimately they know they can use it for their benefit at certain times. But see, Daniel, by this time, he's probably 80 years old at this time. Time has progressed. He's been faithful in Babylon for 70 years. He's getting older, but the key is is that just because he's old doesn't mean that he's done. And just because you feel like you're older does not mean that you're done. Right here, right here at City of Oak Church, we've got a, we've got a younger church. But with my board of, of, of directors and my board of overseers and trustees and things like that, you know what I like to have? I like to have older men on my board. Why? Because they've been through some things. They've got wisdom. Now, we've got a generation and a culture in our society that, that we are just youth obsessed. But just because you're young and passionate doesn't mean you have a lot of wisdom. And a lot 
lot of times we need even our older people to rise up to begin to speak into people's lives because they've seen more than the younger people have seen. They've, they've been through more and they have wisdom. And see, Daniel's not done yet. He may be old. He may have a hard time walking around at 80 years old, but he is able to speak into the culture and say, y'all can't go this direction. You need to see the truth in this situation. I've been through a lot. I've seen ups. I've seen downs. But see, just because you're old does not mean that you're done. We need wisdom. And a lot of times we need to go to the folks who've been around a little bit longer than us in order to get that wisdom. Now, we've got prophets and we've got politicians. Daniel is a prophet, which means that he is just standing for the Word of God. Whatever God's Word says in the culture, he's just not going to bow down to anything else. He's not going to try to be politically correct. He's not going to try to say what's going to tickle people's ears as far as what's going on in the culture. He's not bowing down to that. He's speaking the truth in love, and that's what prophets do, and he is overt. He's open. What you see with Daniel is what you get. He's not trying to hide anything, but he's standing for God's truth when it's no longer culturally fashionable, man. And we need people in our culture today that are going to say, I'm going to stand for what God says if I get mocked, if I'm called stupid, if, if people don't believe me, if people think I'm crazy. I'm just going to stand up and proclaim the truth and be bold about it. But see, today we would critique him as a cop-out or a sell-out because he's essentially in this government and in this power. But see, the, the, I need you to understand this, that just because government gets wicked or, or, or this or that or it, it goes wrong doesn't mean that we still don't need Christian believers in the middle of it. Just because they kick prayer out of schools don't need mean that we don't need Christian people teaching in schools. We need Christians of all sorts in society working and operating because it's when they're in there that the light can shine. And we have to allow our light to shine before men so that people can see our good deeds and glorify our Father which is in heaven. He was not a sellout, but we might call him one. And he knows that if he leaves these positions in these situations and just goes where it's more comfortable to be a Christian and there's never going to be any more challenges, he knows that some people are not going to find out about God because of that. we got to go into dark places to make sure that people know about our God. And see, this teaches us that if you are faithful to Jesus, if you're faithful to King of Kings, you are a gift to any leader or organization. No matter what kind of, lead, no matter what kind of leader, no matter what kind of organization, ultimately they're looking for people with character and consistency. And he had been full of character and full of consistency for 70 plus years. He is filled with the Spirit of God. The Scripture says he had an excellent spirit that was with him. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's wife, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, they all addressed and acknowledged the fact that he was filled with the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God lives in you, there's something, there's something that happens, see? It developed his character over 70 years. And I want you to imagine this because 70 years he was in politics, 70 years he was in government, and when the politicians come out to run an investigation on him, they say, you know what, we got to get, get some dirt up on this. If anybody runs for office nowadays, they're going to dig some dirt up on you and try to unleash every bad thing that you've ever done. And if you've not done anything bad, they're going to come up with something. And these guys run an investigation. I want you to imagine Daniel running for president today. They run an investigation on him. They don't find any audio by no clips of him saying anything crazy, no nothing. He's clean, he, 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 he's pure, he's undefiled. And they say, boys, the only way we can get Daniel is if we actually put into law a policy that actually is against the laws of God so that we can catch him in something like that. So he's under pressure over and over again because of this. 
But it's under pressure that your true character is revealed. A lot of people right now, they're feeling pressure. They're getting discouraged. But see, you don't know your true faith and you don't know your true character until you are under pressure. That's when these things begin to come to the surface. And if we have the Spirit of God, it is an opportunity for the Spirit of God to refine us and make us like Jesus Christ. And Daniel has the character of Jesus Christ because he has a relationship with God the Father. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and when he is pressured, he does not bow down, but he turns to God for strength, for wisdom, and for direction. See, politicians are going to rise up and they don't like the prophets because prophets are going to say and do what is right, but, while, but politicians will say and do what is wrong in an effort to bring down the prophet. See, these politicians, unlike Daniel, they're covert. They got a shadow operation. They work off to the side, behind the scenes, and they work through deception. And ultimately, this is how Satan operates. This is how he works. He's a politician. And he, he worked behind the scenes, and he started the first governance war in heaven. And he tried to, behind the scenes, say, look, man, just like the same way that he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, God's holding out on you. He's not, he's not a really a good leader and a good ruler. And ultimately, we should turn against him and rebel. And he got a third of the angels to turn against him. And then he comes onto the earth and he tries to topple the government of human family and dominion in Genesis 3. And he does so. But see, every time God sends somebody to build something, Satan will send someone to break it. And I'm just wondering if we're not seeing so much chaos in the world right now for multiple reasons. I believe one of the reasons that we're seeing such chaos in the world is because people are continually turning away from God and God is handing us over to the consequences of our actions and decisions. But also, I believe that the true church is being purified and we're getting put into a pressure, so to speak, in or, in, ultimately to, to see whether or not we're going to choose God or we're going to choose to move away from God. But God is bringing up a remnant. He's raising up a people, a group of people like Daniel to rise to the surface and, he sent, and, and Satan is coming in to stop what God wants to do in his people in the true church in this generation. And so they got a, they got a campaign against him. They're trying uh, to figure something out. But see, the only person they're doing a background investigation on is Daniel. They ain't doing a background investigation on anybody else. And see, they're not ultimately the leaders. Daniel is over them, so they say, well, we can't get him because we're not a leader, so we have to enact some sort of policy. we got to work through some sort of policy to jam this stuff up so that it doesn't move forward, which is what politicians do today. And ultimately, they're all liars because they say, look, we got together king and we consulted with one another and everybody decided we was going to put this, this law in place where nobody can pray or, or worship or acknowledge any other God except you for the next 30 days, which was appealing to his pride. And, and, and it, look, it, you'd probably be like, you know, it's, it's all good. If, if it's for the people, if it's to bring order, you'd probably be like, you know what, I can be God for 30 days and everybody pray to me and, and all that. You know, that, that, that's his mentality at that point. But the one thing they did not do is they did not consult Daniel on this matter because ultimately he's the man that they're trying to impeach. He's the man that they're trying to get rid of and get out of power and get out of office because his stance for God is against what they want to do in the government. And so this law, once it's enacted, it cannot be undone. It's a legal technicality. And what I want you to understand is God's laws, they cannot be undone. See, 
There's laws and then there's preferences. And the law of God always trumps your preferences and your opinions. And when we come to the Word of God now more than ever, we need to allow the Word of God to shape us rather than our own opinions try to manipulate the Word of God. And they had these same laws that were to be set in order. And even in our organizations, we've got to understand that we've got prophets, we've got people that are going to speak the Word of God and the truth of God, and then we've got politicians. And these are people who are working behind the scenes in darkness to try to say what's politically correct, and we cannot live according to that culture as Christians. And in that culture, number two, the thing that we've got to have is we need faith over fear. We need faith over fear. And this has been said a lot recently, but Daniel 6, I think, unpacks it a little bit better. And when we get into verse 10, here's what it says. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, I love this because he heard it. He's like, all right, they got a new law going on. All right, that's great. I love how Daniel, doesn't, he doesn't get upset over anything. He's calm, he's cool, he trusts God. It's a terrible law, but he doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't go out and start hollering at people. He doesn't have a right. He says when he knew that the thing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since the early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, He will deliver you. The king's got faith in Daniel's God. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that this purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also, his sleep went from him. See, bad laws sometimes get put into place. And right now, what this is, this law is put into place with the exclusive goal of binding the freedom of believers to worship God freely. And i got to tell you something, persecution is going to continue to come to America unless a miracle happens through legal channels to restrict Bible-based believers. I believe in our time we're going to find that it will probably most likely be a hate crime just to read certain passages of Scripture. Now, I don't, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I don't know, but I see that we are heading in that direction where it is far more valued to be politically correct and not hurt people's feelings than it is to speak the truth of God even when sometimes it's not what people prefer. And But see, Daniel is living in an age and he's demonstrating that, look, I ain't trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just choosing to stand for God in a world that is confusing and moving further away from God. See, Daniel's got all kinds of options. He could do a lot of things when this law gets enacted. But the man has been known to pray three times a day with his windows open 
face toward Jerusalem, and that's what he's staying in. He's staying in faith. But see, here's the thing. He could allow fear to begin to override him, and he could obey the order for 30 days and just pray to King Darius. But essentially, he could do what most Christians do and say, well, you know what? It's, it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Our God is so gracious and forgiving, we could just go ahead and sin for 30 days and backslide for 30 days. And then at the end of 30 days, we can choose uh, to, to, to just go back just to override it, just to play with the system for real. Not real. We could pretend it. We could fake it. And then at the end of 30 days, we just go back. A lot of people would do that. Some people would just run from the situation and say, well, I don't, I don't want to be a part of this. So they flee and they take off. He could have, have, have made an appeal to the king and talked to the king. Of course, the thing is, is that they made it an issue that this cannot be changed. The other thing that he could do is he could just make his prayer life private. And this is what a lot of Christians love to do. Well, I don't, want, I don't want anybody to be offended. I don't want anybody to be hurt. So I'll just pray in private. I'll make my prayer life private. I'll make my faith private. I won't talk about Jesus in public or at the workplace. I'll just make that private and I'll, and I'll, and I'll wait it out and I'll compromise. Or he could have do what, did what was, is very popular today. He could have threw a big protest on. He could have went down and caused a stink and, and, and just been a martyr and held up picket signs and did all kinds of stuff like that to get a lot of attention. But no, he says, you know what? I'm going to respond the same way that I always respond. I'm going to respond in faith and I'm going to respond in a way where, where God gets the glory and I'm not going to allow this fear to come over me in a way where I'm going to bow down to this situation. So there's three reactions. King Darius is the one who actually responds in fear because he's worried, man. He's troubled. He's guilty. He's up all night trying to figure out a way to get Daniel out because he loves Daniel and knows how valuable Daniel is. The politicians, they've got faith, but they got faith in themselves. They say, you know what, boys? We got a smart plan buttoned up, legal and a PR plan. Just, just watch the politicians at work right now. When they, they, they think they got so much faith in themselves to do things and their power grabs and moves and deceptive and trying try, and, and it's all darkness and wickedness that is at work in there man and I pray over our nation that God would bring down wicked leaders and people who are not moving for God I pray that he would begin to feel the president the, the governors everyone with his Holy Spirit and that he would expose darkness in our nation that's what we need to be praying for right now because they don't have faith in anybody but themselves but then lastly the prophet Daniel he has faith in God he humbles himself. He faces Jerusalem. The scripture in Ezekiel actually puts him on the same level as, as Job and as Noah in righteousness and faith. And Daniel knows he's either going to get delivered from this situation or worst case scenario, he dies and faces God in judgment. So he's sitting here thinking, look boys, my God will either show up and deliver me from the lion's den or worst case scenario, I'm 80 years old, the lion bites my head, I die and I stand before Jesus. And he says, well done, because you were able to remain faithful under an immense amount of pressure and you glorified my name and I received glory in the earth because you were unwilling to compromise in the midst of this. You were living in faith when the rest of the world was bowing down under the pressure of fear. So he knew either way he was a winner and that was why he could stay at rest. And folks, we need that rest from God to know that either way we are a winner. If we go through a trial, God will deliver us through it. If He doesn't, worst case scenario, we die and stand before Him. And He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many and we get eternity. We're talking about 80 years of a short life here and we have not, we've got to put our faith and hope in an age to come and not in what is here on this earth. So number three, here's what Daniel shows us as well. 
is that we need prayer over panic. We need faith over fear, but we need prayer over panic. See, Daniel is sustained by prayer all of these years. Your lungs need air, your car needs gas, and your soul needs prayer. It is the very breath that we breathe in our spiritual life. And see, your faith has got to be public and not just private. Never once do these men think, you know what, the culture just doesn't like us talking about God and we're a minority here. We shouldn't speak out about God. We shouldn't read our Bibles publicly because that's embarrassing. You know, like even just, I talked about last week how some college kids come in with Bibles about that thick. I love that. I like people packing Bibles. Even if you go into a place, you know, sometimes you feel a little bit weird, like a weird Christian because when you get saved, nobody wants to be weird and Christians are sometimes weird. But you know what? I would rather be weird in the eyes of some so that somebody might come to know the Lord than, than, to, just, than to just bow down and be like the rest of the world with no difference whatsoever. Our faith has got to be public and not just private. And that's what prayer demonstrates. Our prayer needs to be public even sometimes. Not for the sake of being shown or seen, but for the sake of impacting the world. And secondly, your character is only as strong as your prayer life. The reason Daniel stayed strong in character, the reason he was able to overcome, the reason he always had the right responses, the reason he had divine insight in pressure pressure situations was because he had a routine of prayer with God. He had a daily life with God. Every day, without fail, he is going to pray morning, noon, and not. He had a routine. Your character is only as strong as your prayer life. What's your prayer life like? What's it like in these hours? Because right now we need men and women of God to raise up and become serious prayer warriors so that we see a move of God in our generation. Also, the only remedy, as we said, we need prayer over panic, but the only remedy for panic is prayer. And right now, our world, we're living in a world where panic is beginning to set on. I shared with some folks not long ago, I've never had a panic attack in my life. And during, during this, this COVID season, I preached a message on camera just like I'm preaching right now. And it was late that night. I went to bed that night. I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Actually, it was the first sermon that I'd preached in this sermon series on the book of Daniel. And things were going on in my life. But I woke up randomly at 4 o'clock in the morning with a panic attack. And, and I got through it the next day, but the Lord began to share with me, Clay, this is what's coming on the whole world right now. There is pressure and there is fear that is resulting in panic. But you know what I did? Rather than succumb to that panic, I, I, went, I, I was at my house and I, it took me about a day to get through it, but I finally said, I'm tired of this. I went to my house. I began to pray aloud. I began to worship God. I began to sing praise. I rebuked the enemy and I stood strong in faith. And all of a sudden I felt that panic and that heaviness lift up off of me because the only remedy for panic is prayer. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious for anything. Don't allow anxiety to creep into your heart during this hour. And if it does come in there, then you've got to respond in prayer. This is what he says, be anxious for nothing, right? But, by, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That is a promise. If you will be thankful for what God has given you, if you'll let your supplications be known, and say no to anxiety, then what God's going to do is He's going to give you a peace. 
that passes all understanding no matter what you're going through. And see, when there's nothing else that you can do, when you can't call anybody on the phone, when you can't get a hold of the lawyer, when you can't get a hold of the doctor, when nobody has a vaccine or anything like that, guess what? If there's nothing else you can do, you can pray. And Scripture teaches us over and over again, even with Jesus, the very Son of God, He was in the wilderness praying and seeking God's face, tempted by the devil, being pressured, being put to the test, but he sought his God and he prayed. And it says he came out in the power of the Spirit. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew that he was going to bear the weight of the sins of the world, but what was he doing? He was on his hands and knees, sweating drops of blood under intense pressure, praying. And when he stood up, he had a newfound strength in God so that whenever the soldiers came in to arrest him, they said, where's Jesus of Nazareth? He said, I am. And the power of God was released from him. And they fell down on their feet because he was standing in power to go to the cross and to perform the will of God because he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in my life. And we need that to happen in our life. See, prayer is less about changing your future and more about preparing you for the future. A lot of times we get into difficult circumstances and situations and we're like, God, change this, change this situation, move this mountain. And sometimes He will, and sometimes the mountain will be moved because we operate in authority and we need to see those things moved in our lives. But sometimes we face challenges and trials, and the issue of prayer in those moments is not so much about changing it, but more about changing me. God is not so much trying to always change the circumstances or let me dictate how my life should turn out as it is to say, God, ultimately you're in control. You dictate how my life turns out. And at the end of the day, your goal is to make me more like Jesus. And I submit and I surrender to that. So it's not just about changing my future, so to speak, but preparing me for my future. He wants to shape you and your obstacles and your difficulties, as I said before, is not keeping you from doing the will of God. They are forming you so that you can do the will of God in the future that God already sees. You have to submit to that. But I want to ask you this question. If you were Daniel, would your prayer life have even gotten you in trouble? If they put a new law in place and said, well, if you're, if you're a Christian and you do this, 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 or that, would it even get you in trouble? Or would you just bow down like, like the rest of the culture around you and never bring it up and say, no, nah, I'd just rather my faith be, be private. No, God says that His Christian people, that they should bear witness, that they should be lights. They should not put it under a bushel. They should set this, this city should be set on a hill for all to see. And as, as obnoxious as that is, as bad as the world hates it, Jesus has already told us, look, look fellas, the world is going to hate you, but there is going to be some folks that see that light and turn to the truth and come to know Jesus because of it. And that's what He's calling us to do. Number four, when we're willing to choose faith, over fear and prayer over panic. Then number four, we will see deliverance over destruction. We will see deliverance over destruction. And so the king has cast Daniel into the den of lions and he's upset. So as soon as he gets up early that morning, verse 19, it says, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually... He knew that Daniel served his God continually. Has he been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den 
and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command. I love that. Because he believed in his God. Because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Now the accusers got it turned back on them. And God, I pray, that's what, I pray that's what the Lord does right now in our generation. That those who are coming against God and against the truth of God, that their accusations, that their wrongdoing, ultimately it will come back on them. And, I, and, he, and it comes back on them. And he said, cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives. Now that seems pretty harsh, but we'll unpack that. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. See, this is deliverance. And the moral of the story is that you only get delivered if you know God. This, this story is a precursor and a foreshadowing of our eternity. See, we need Daniel's God who is ultimately Jesus Christ. And when we know Jesus Christ, the truth is, is that every one of us, if we die, if the Lord doesn't come back and we're not changed in a moment of the twinkling of an eye, we will be tossed into a den. They will roll a stone over it, so to speak. We will be in our graves. But if we know Jesus Christ, that den of lions, death, hell, and the grave will be conquered and we will be protected and we will be raised up out of that den. We will be raised up out of that pit and we will have eternal life. But see, the others, others who do not believe and do not know God, when they go down into death, there is no freedom because Jesus is the one who has conquered death. He is the way, the truth, and the life and He has called all people to believe in Him, to repent of their sins so that they can too be delivered from this destruction and experience this deliverance. And God brings this deliverance and guarantees us an eternal life where we are free from this destruction. Now some people will say, well, you know, the reason Daniel was delivered is because them lions, they weren't hungry. Well, no, these cats were, they, they were very hungry because as soon as they throw the others in, Immediately before they even hit the ground, they break their bones into pieces. But see, the line of the tribe of Judah, somebody say, well, who is that angel that comes up? Now, we talked about this, but sometimes it can, an angel can be a legitimate angel, but it can also be in the Hebrew language a messenger. It can be a Christophany. The same way that he saw the Son of God in the fire with, with, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This could be a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ in the den of lions and the line of the tribe of Judah showing up in the den of lions to silence and shut the mouths of those lions because ultimately he is the more powerful line. He is the line of the tribe of Judah. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said that they didn't eat Daniel because all he was was backbone and gristle. I like that. Daniel was backbone and gristle and because of that, the, the, the lions didn't want any part of him. But see, Daniel is delivered from the lion's den. And let me tell you something, God still delivers from the lion's den. No matter what situation you're in right now, it could be a financial situation. It could be a family situation. It just could be something where you feel like there's no way out you're surrounded. There's all sorts of voices that are saying you're not going to make it and you're in this situation. And I'm telling you that God still delivers from the lion's den. God still delivers His people. And we will, if we will focus on God and keep faith in Him, we will ultimately always experience deliverance over destruction. I love Psalm 40, verse 1 through 3. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined to me and He heard my cry. He also brought me out out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth, 
praise to our God, many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. I believe we're going through a season as individuals and as a church that we're going to see God bring us out of the pit and out of the miry clay. He's going to set us upon a rock. He's going to establish our steps. And many are going to see it and put trust in the Lord. We're going to come out of this COVID thing. We're going to come out of every situation. I don't know about the world. It may get worse on the outside, but the church and the people of God are going to get stronger and God is going to get glory to His name. And many are going to see it and turn to the Lord and they will trust in the Lord. And we're going to have a new song in our heart because we're going to know that ultimately our trust is not in this world. Our trust is in God and He's able to keep us. He's able to save us. He is able to deliver us. But see, the law required that these criminals, that even their wives and their children get punished. But I need you to understand, and this is just a word to men right now. We need men to raise up in this generation. If you're listening to me and you're a man, you're a husband, you're a father, God is saying now is the hour to take the lead in your home. Because ultimately, statistically, if a man gets saved, his family gets saved. If a man reads his Bible, his children read their Bible. If a man ties and, and, and seeks God's face and takes communion and attends church service and thinks it's important, his wife and his children statistically will. And the inverse is true. If a man does not do those things, his family will follow suit even into destruction. That's the way that family works in this generation. And there is a fight, there is a war, there's a demonic agenda against the family unit, against a father, against a mother, against having a healthy home under God where they worship and seek God. There's a, they're trying to bring a systematic breakdown of the family, to no longer treat life as sacred. Bringing children into this world is one of the most beautiful things in the planet. And God has said that we are to, husbands and wives are to marry and they're to be, become fathers and mothers, and they are to raise godly children that will have an impact on the next generation. And that is what He's calling us to do. But see, when men choose to make bad decisions, ultimately it affects their wives, it affects their children. And we've got to be like Daniel and stand for the truth. So we know that God can deliver, but the key is number five, my last one, will you respond with courage or will you respond with compromise? In Revelation 21.7, at the very end, it says, He who overcomes inherit, will inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But notice this. It says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. But the one that I want you to pay attention to is it says, But the cowardly. The cowardly is the first one listed. Because there is an immense amount of pressure, especially when it comes to the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, in our world to become a coward, to bow down and to compromise. And see, what we have to have against compromise in our generation is we have got to have a boldly godly courage to not care anymore about what man thinks, to not care anymore about what this world thinks or how the world judges us. Just for the same reason that Daniel's name literally meant God is my judge. We don't care if the world judges us. We care what God says when He judges us. And we need courage over compromise. In Daniel 6, verse 25 through 28, it says, Then King Darius wrote, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For He is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. 
Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel responds with courage. And what I want you to understand is that courage is infectious and so is fear. Which one that you choose is ultimately what's going to spread throughout the earth. And what we see over and over again, even Christian people, they're responding to situations with an immense amount of fear. Well, it's bad out there. I've just never seen times like this. Well, let me tell you something. I've never seen a God like the one that we worship and serve. And it's times like this in darkness that we as Christian people can have faith and we can have courage and it spreads like wildfire. Can you imagine that we begin to overcome our fears with an immense amount of courage? We say, I'm I'm not going to be a coward. I'm not going to bow down to what's going on in the world. Doesn't mean I'm going to act stupid. Doesn't mean I'm going to be angry. Doesn't mean I'm going to be mean. But I'm going to choose, choose courage and I'm going to choose faith and I'm going to quit worrying about everything that's going on in the world and I'm going to say our God is still in control. He's still seated on the throne. He's able to d- deliver me from the fiery furnace. He's able to deliver me from the den of lions. And if I've got to go through it, I'm willing to so that ultimately He's going to get the glory. But courage is infectious. And you know that to encourage somebody literally means to pour courage into them. We need to be about encouraging somebody right now. You may know somebody right now that needs to be encouraged, to be brought out of their fear, to be brought into a faith in God. And man, it's contagious. We need to see faith in believers that can be spread to others and so that somebody can ride off of your faith. Somebody can ride off of your courage. And I need you to understand this, that your courage is not to be successful. Your courage is to be faithful. Listen, Daniel doesn't ever see a great amount of success. He never sees a revival He never sees everybody bow down and say Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He wins some great victories. He wins some great battles. But ultimately his life probably doesn't turn out the way that he wished it did. He does not see success in even a worldly ministry type of setting. But he does see victories. And see ultimately though your courage is not about success. It's about you being faithful. You may not get the results that you want. But you're becoming the person that God wants. The first decree of Darius was that he was a god. The second decree of Darius says that Jesus is God. If Daniel had chosen to compromise over courage, then people would not have heard of his God. And that's what we're going to see in our generation. I guarantee you, if you are a Christian in these days that we live in, the time will come at some point where you're either going to bow down and you're going to choose cowardice over courage. And because of that, people are not going to hear about about God and and come to know Him in a deeper way. But if you choose courage, then people will hear of God and God will be glorified for it and you will be rewarded in the end. Here's what God says. here's, Here's what Darius says about God. An unbeliever. He says that God is global. He says all the people's nations and languages in all of the earth. That means that God is over all. This coronavirus is over all the world. But guess what? Our God is not just an American God. He is a global God. He is over the entire world, over the universes. And even the king's hearts are in his hands and he is in control. But see, he's a personal God because Darius says he is a living God. That means that Darius recognizes, man, there's other gods out there that they can't even speak. They can't do anything. But I see that God, Daniel's God is a a real and living God who shows up in the lines then to muzzle the mouths of lines if he must. He's a personal God. He says also he's an eternal God and he's a king because his kingdom is, endures forever and shall never be destroyed. And his kingdom endures forever. 
He says He's a good God. He's good because He always delivers and He always rescues and He will deliver and He will rescue you in your situation. He's transcendent and He's imminent. He works signs and wonders in both heaven and on the earth. God is still working signs and wonders. He says that He's a Savior because He saved Daniel. And notice, He didn't get him around it, but He did take him through it. And God is a Savior even if we have to go through the fire. He will save us from it. And lastly, He's generous because in the end... After Daniel went through what he went through, he prospered. And what if God is setting us up as individuals and as the church to go through this season of testing if we respond properly with courage rather than compromise that we're going to come out on the other side in a prosperous way that we did not understand or know was, was possible for us? I'm believing God for that. I'm believing that for you. But see, in the end, Jesus is the greater Daniel. When we talk about Daniel, Daniel is a type of Christ because he represents unending faithfulness to God. But see, just like Jesus and just like Daniel, just like Daniel, Jesus had political leaders who brought up false charges to arrest him. Jesus also had a political leader that declared him innocent and faultless the same way that Darius did. And he tried to spare his death sentence. Pilate did that with Jesus. But ultimately, just like Daniel, Jesus was thrown into a pit and left for dead. And both pits were covered with a large stone and both pits were signed with a signet, the Roman seal over Jesus' tomb. And just like Daniel, Jesus had loving friends to run to the tomb early in the morning. And just like Daniel, Jesus defeated death and he walked away from that tomb early in the morning. And see, Daniel and Jesus both raised up as second in command over the kingdom. Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father and Daniel was raised up to be seated at the right hand of Darius during that time. And see, Daniel eventually died, but Jesus defeated death and will raise Daniel from the dead. And this is the gospel, folks. Jesus Christ has come. And He knows, see, that we were all sinners. We were all sinners in need of a Savior. This is the reality, that all of us have sinned against God. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We live in a wicked world, but Jesus has come to deliver us from the spirit of this age, from the sins that we've lived in. And all He says is, would you repent and would you believe that I came and I loved you so much that on the cross I died for your sins? And if you will put faith in me that I died for you, that I was raised again from the dead on the third day, then you can have forgiveness of sins. You can have a new heart and a new mind. My spirit will live in you. That's what Jesus is telling us. And not only that, but we have hope in the life to come. We have eternal life. That there is not destruction. That there is not everlasting hell for the believer. But we have eternal life with God in the kingdom of heaven that will be established here on earth. And we will rule and reign with Him forever. That is the promise that we have in Christ. So I want to pray for you right there. And wherever you're at, I just pray that you will receive what God has for you this morning. So Lord, for each person, God, that doesn't know you, I pray that they would, that, that they would receive you today, Jesus. That they would put faith in you for forgiveness of sins. That they would confess their sins and believe in you for their salvation. And that God, all of us, because of that truth and because of that reality, we would make our faith public. Lord, we would no longer compromise with this world in being politically correct, but God, we would have courage and we would speak the truth in love boldly and we would choose to live for you in the midst of this Babylonian society that is trying to get us to bow down and retreat in cowardice. But God, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we will not. And for each family, uh, Lord, that's listening, I speak a blessing over their homes, over their family, over their children, God. Point them in the direction of truth, God, and set them free. 
Lord, I pray, I pray for people that are dealing with depression and anxiety and fear and panic. God, I pray they'd be broken off their lives right now in Jesus' name and perfect peace would come to them right where they're at, God. We pray for your leadership, your guidance, your direction. And God, we pray that you would move over our nation in an immense amount of revival. So turn the hearts of our leaders and the people of this nation back to you, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much uh, for being with us this morning.